0: The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tube Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go
1: on the good Two, one. And this on the one. small step for man, one giant leap.
2: Episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space Podcast episode three hundred nine for the week of Sunday, March sixth, two thousand and eleven. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene.
3: Uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. How you doing there,
2: Sawyer? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Charles Dickens?
3: <laughs> pretty, pretty darn good. Unfortunately, We're, we'll find that out why I, why I said that during the show.
2: <laughs> oh boy. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Hello, Sawyer, Gene, and Gina. Good to be here. Glad to have you with us, and welcome as well, Gina Hurley.
1: Thank you, Sawyer. Glad to be back from launch.
2: Oh, I can't wait to hear your stories, and we'll get to those momentarily. We're going to start off with STS-133, in fact, and a little bit of an update on the mission currently. So the mission had its second spacewalk since we've spoken, and uh, that went pretty well for the most part, right, Gene?
3: Yeah, they had a little bit of, bit of problem starting out, I believe it was uh, Steve Bowen, the uh, the lithium hydroxide uh, canister that uh, controls the uh, amount of CO2 that gets into the in, in and out of the suit and all the scrubbers and all that good stuff. Well, the, uh, uh, I believe there was a little bit of an O-ring failure on that and they went ahead and replaced the O-ring, but uh, I think they started, uh, if you guys will go ahead and check me on that, uh, I believe I think it was it was scheduled for uh, 10 about uh, 1040 uh, 1042 is actually it ran a few minutes behind but uh, everything that they wanted to accomplish did get accomplished although uh, I believe uh, we had some you know I believe uh, uh, there was a little problem Drew was having uh, which kind of kind of sort of set him back about 40 minutes we meet up about 40 minutes so what NASA decided to do was to sort of mix and match the the duties that the uh, from that point forward, um, so and that worked out fairly well. Uh, although um, toward the end uh, we had a little problem with uh, with Al Drew's helmet cam and uh, his helmet light. Now, when we f- we first started out, Steve Bowen's hel- uh, helmet cam kind of was a little bulky, like it was during EVA one. Uh, that kind of sort of worked its way out, but uh, you can't really function without the lights. And uh, Al Drew's helmet helmet lights kind of sort of went out and uh uh, uh steve Bone came over to try to troubleshoot that but couldn't get that working so uh al had to had to abandon ship so to speak and go back to the airlock i believe uh, there was only one uh one piece of uh of uh, business that had to be done and uh steve Bone took care of that and went back to the airlock and that was they called it an eva so uh it went uh, it went fairly well and the ground was really really happy with uh, with the whole thing
2: so it turns out you don't judge something by the color of it in the case of the o-rings because it was originally supposed to be I believe a blue o-ring but then they couldn't find the replacement piece so they managed to find an orange one that fit
3: well at least it, it worked and you know, without that uh, you're not uh, without that scrubber you're not going anywhere so it was good that they got that fixed.
2: Indeed it was, and as time went along, they continued to open up the pressurized mating module, the the permanent one, Leonardo.
3: Yep, um, that actually completed the uh, the U.S. segment of the uh, of the ISS with with uh, the addition of Leonardo and uh, the uh, permanent uh, uh, multi-purpose module there. Um, that is going to act essentially as a closet. Uh, and as any homeowner knows, you can't have enough closet space. Uh, and this was, was really, really dearly needed on the station at this point. So that was a, that, that's, uh, Leonardo is going to be a very, very welcome addition.
2: As well as that, they got some other work done aboard the International Space Station, had a couple of interviews with the media, as well as the President of the United States. Yeah, and and
3: that the president actually went ahead and focused on Robonaut 2 himself and uh, said, uh, you know, quote,
2: He's still unpacking the phone. That's a shame, man.
4: Come on, guys, unpack the guy. <laughs> he flew all that way, and you guys aren't unpacking him?
3: Yeah, you know, the, the poor guy's been locked in that phone for about four months now, and uh, every once in a while we hear kind of some scratching sounds from inside, and... Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, let me out, let me out, but we're not sure.
4: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, well, let, let, let him stretch his legs uh, uh, pretty soon.
3: Close quote. Um, that also led to a line of questioning, too, uh, by a couple of members in the press from what I was I was watching on, uh, on NASA television this week. And uh, Robonaut 2 is eventually going to be unpacked. It's just not going to be done now. And I, I understand the reasoning behind it. There's just, you know, you've got all, how many people on the station now? Twelve. Um, you have a lot of equipment flying around, you've got a lot of moves happening and something like that is just going to s- kind of sort of be in the way. So you want to make sure that s- essentially the party's over and that, you know, you're, you have a nice quiet station for a little while and you want to go ahead and, and make sure that, that this thing is being tested in, in a stable environment. And, uh, as I, I, I'm trying to remember who, who said this. Um, when you have a, a Soyuz arrive, it's sort of like you know just having a company having company over. But when you have a, a shuttle arrive, it's like having a bunch of party crashers come in. So you know again an unstable environment, and you want to make sure that you have a stable environment to start testing Robonaut two. So I, I have a feeling that's one of the reasons why I don't think they're going to pull that out till after STS one thirty four.
2: Well, since then, they spoke with the president, and as of today, which is March 6, 2011, they closed. They gave their farewell speeches, and they closed the hatches between them after gaining another extra day in space. So they will be landing uh, two days later than expected. So we'll be seeing them home a little later.
3: Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, – you know, I, I think uh, Scott Kelly was probably pleased to have the extra hands, too, for a little while longer, because you, know, you want to go ahead and move all the all the garbage into the uh, into the HT the Japanese HTV, which is the the next vehicle to depart, and uh, uh, you know you want to make sure that that, that is you know pretty much stuffed and, and ready to go, and uh, having a bunch of other folks to help you out with that is probably a good deal. So
2: they also had planned a fly around of the International Space Station with. Space vehicles from all four nations, from all four spacefaring agencies at the station that have helped to build it. So that would be the United States and NASA, RSA with Russia, ESA, the European Space Agency, and JAXA, Japan's space agency. Each of them have a craft up there. There was a possibility of a fly around. However, the Russians declined to do it.
3: Yeah, they said nyet. Uh, the reason is, I believe, that uh, the Soyuz that was supposed to go ahead and perform the fly around it is one of the new, uh, the new Soyuz vehicles. I believe it's the Soyuz series 700, and there are some structural changes to it, and there's some software changes to it. And the folks in Russia said, "Well, you know, this is a procedure we just really weren't prepared to do." And we have a brand new vehicle up there. We just don't understand, you know, what the new software is, is all about. What the new structural changes are really, really going to put this vehicle through. So rather than going going ahead and doing this impromptu maneuver, I think we're going to just go ahead and 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 take a pass. And it was it was their call um, whether whether or not we agree with it. You know, I mean, it, it, admittedly, it was a historic photo op. You had another Russian Soyuz docked over there, you had um, the Japanese HTV, you had the uh, the ESA ATV2, and of course you had Discovery sitting there on her final call to the International Space Station. So it would have been an interesting photograph. Instead, we'll have to go ahead and depend on a lot of the ground-based photography that some amateur astronomers are doing. And I've seen a few of those on the internet, and they've been they've been pretty dazzling. So, but that's that's essentially what we're going to have to stick with.
0: On the topic of uh, not doing the fly around, I think it's really a smart thing not to, because uh, Murphy's Law, if something goes wrong, what have you got? You've got a crew in a Soyuz with uh, an opportunity to go home early. That's exciting. And also uh, the thought that wasn't it a Soyuz that uh, one of the previous expeditions, when they undocked, that they had some problems with... uh, some switches making or breaking contact and giving them a you know a, a a green light to to undock. Was that a Soyuz or was it a cargo?
3: I think it was a Soyuz mark. So again, you know valid point.
0: yeah, it's it's a lot of and basically it's for it's for something that's historic. It's not for uh, and as far as history goes, there are some genius, smart computer people that can do a CGI with a blend of, you know, real photos and a few little computer magic add-ins that'll look the same as anything that they would take flying around the, the uh, ISS.
2: I think
3: Bill Gerstemeyer though, said that uh, there was some engineering validity to doing these photographs from, I, I guess, trying to see what, what the ISS currently looks like and so on. But I think, you know, during the fly-around discovery can do, can do that as well.
0: And of course, you know, my thought is, oh, we got something installed backwards. We need to take it apart and start over, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I understand. I I wish they could have done it. Too bad there wasn't a uh another cargo ship coming up with a camera or something. You know, that would have been nice, but uh, you know, that's it's all the risks that have to be assessed. And by the way, I saw something recently that uh, included a quote Benjamin Franklin once said, and here's the quote, want of care does more damage than want of knowledge. So I think it's a, a good move at this time
2: to, to go the way they did. Yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's a good idea for them not to do it, or would you say just do it anyway? What's your opinions, guys?
3: It would have been nice from a historic standpoint, especially looking at Discovery you know, from, from that vantage point docked to the International Space Station, the facility that she helped build. Um. I, I think we are missing a little bit of a historic photo op, but, uh, by the same to- token too, I understand that the risks in, that were involved, you've got a, a brand, essentially a redesigned Soyuz, um, you know, so you want to go ahead and make sure that, uh, that redesigned Soyuz is up to the task. And I guess the Russians felt that it may not be up to the task at this point. They kind of also probably felt that this procedure was kind of thrown at them, um, know just by surprise or just said oh hey by the way you know so again in in indifference to the russians I, i think they they probably made the right call with with what they had um but i think we are missing out on a on a neat opportunity Gina, what do you think
1: i think it's pretty cool that we've got an active space station with a lot of traffic up there right now however As much as I'd love to see that photograph, it's frivolous. It's a risk. Let's not forget that spaceflight is risky all the time, even though you get good at it and you get a little bit lax thinking and you're thinking that, you know, things are comfortable. You can do a few things outside of the box, but it's unnecessary for the success of the flight. And uh, I don't think anything needs to be compromised in terms of safety or um, the flight mission plan, so I'm
2: glad they decided not to do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it would have been nice to actually see, you know, all the partners there and everything, but it's not worth risking safety or anything like that. I'd say, you know what, it would have been cool, it didn't happen, oh well, it's not mission critical.
3: Uh, As somebody uh, within NASA said, it is what it is. Let's just move on.
2: Are they talking about that or us in the podcast right now? (laughs) Probably both. So then let's do as the NASA engineer says, and let's move on to the next topic of STS-133. Just recently, they announced that after taking a look at all of the video footage from launch ascent and the Orbiter Boom Sensor System Inspection there was no damage to the heat shield tile after launch. They'll do one more late inspection on Monday, March 7th, and that will check if there's any damage while they were docked to the International Space Station. However, as of right now, everything looks good from launch. And Gina, you were down there from launch. Now, we got a little bit of what it was like in the last episode, but now that you're here, we really want to hear all about your launch experience.
1: Well... It was a picture perfect day. I had a good feeling all week because the weather was supposed to be beautiful, and it was. And uh, standing at the press site, uh, the winds were blowing in our direction, which I have to think that it was louder than I remember in the past standing there. And um, right about, oh, right before we were supposed to come out of the nine minute hold. There was an issue with the range safety computer, which is run by the Air Force um, to make sure that there's no trouble in the range, I suppose, anywhere where they could compromise uh, safety or security. And um, the nine minute hold was to run out, and they were going to assess it again before the end of the five minute hold, or they were working the problem for the interim. And with only a couple of seconds to spare, the computer system was um, either reset or was um, basically put into an override mode and they allowed it to launch, which would have been an absolute shame because again, the weather was picture perfect. The shuttle itself, there was no mechanical issues happening and and, um, it was indeed an absolutely majestic and beautiful launch. Um, You know, this, the sight, of course, is phenomenal. Um about ten seconds after liftoff that sound is really over your head, just getting louder and louder and louder, like a a strong crackling sound and just blowing at you and then you sort of get that shock wave and it's just a phenomenal day. I I could see the SRB SEP. Um you knew that they were separated because um, an applause breaks out. You know, it's certainly a milestone in the um acceleration to orbit. Um, I tried to focus my eyes on watching one of them fall, but trying to alternate between following them come back to Earth and keeping my eyes focused still on the bright, bright glare of Discovery climbing. um, You know, I eventually lost them. I was supposed to be there long enough uh, into the weekend to see the SRBs come back into port. However, there were some choppy waters that um, developed off the off the offshore and that delayed their journey back into port so i i did not get to see them return but the launch itself was just just phenomenal i mean it was um it was emotional it was certainly historic i think there were a lot of people there uh i was certainly surrounded by a lot of people that were definitely insiders um to nasa a lot of people had a lot of personal stake in this. I was surrounded by a lot of people wearing um, specific astronaut wear because they were uh, the Mike Barrett ground crew or, you know, they knew people on the shuttle. And uh, there was a lot of um, investment, I suppose, in the uh, the spectatorship that uh, was there at the press site. Uh, there were some celebrities there. Bill Nye the Science Guy was there. He was interviewed by Space Vidcast and Spaceflight Now. Um, there were a few astronauts roaming around. I know Buzz Aldrin was at the flight. He, I think he was over by the Saturn V Center watching in some VIP stands over there. But um, there were um, definitely a lot of... Uh, NASA brass and NASA astronauts floating around. So, you know, I'm so glad the the flight took place without, you know, any delays uh, after the range safety computer had its issue and we worked it out. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to go over to crew walkout. Uh, That was certainly a, a, a terrific experience, one I'll never forget. You're standing outside waiting for the crew to come out. We knew they were going to come out just about one o'clock. And, um, you know, you start hearing this sort of low hum of people cheering and applauding through the hallways. You know, Steve Lindsay let out his crew and they're, you know, donning their orange pumpkin suits. A couple of guys have already gotten in the Astro vans with big spherical uh, like canvas bag cases holding their helmets. The crew comes out, they stand in front of the astro van, they do their photo op, everyone's cheering, they wave, they get in the van, about five or six other people in the entourage, Peggy Whitson, of course, director of the astronaut office, rides with them and off they go with their SWAT van behind them, their police car in front of them, the helicopter for the range, circling their entire route to the, the pad. And there's a few other cars in the caravan, and off they go. That was certainly exciting. I mean, that I, that made it even more personal for me uh, that I was actually able to, you know, see these astronauts as they were going to climb into a spaceship and go into outer space. I mean, that's just pretty exciting. So it was a terrific experience. I'm so glad I was there. Discovery is certainly a very special ship with so many milestones. In her history of spaceflight, returning John Glenn to space, or you know, being the um, ship for both uh, return to to flight missions after Columbia and the Challenger accidents, putting the Hubble into orbit, and you know, count uh, you know just essential and critical key missions to put together our space station, which is going to be. You know, front and center and ever so important to American spaceflight until we have a new rocket system developed. So um, there's some video I think Sawyer's going to put on our website of the crew walkout and uh, launch experience I had
2: as well. And those videos will be linked on our website. You'll find it once you get to the web page, there will be something there and you'll clearly be able to see it. Now, while you were there, Gina, did you, you know, get to talk to anybody, maybe? Yeah, I talked to one pretty important
1: guy. He was uh, on the maiden flight of Discovery back in 1984. Uh, Mike Coates, who is now our director of the Johnson Space Center, but at the time, a pilot of the Discovery's maiden voyage.
2: So basically, we've gotten to talk to both mics of the STS 41D mission, right? Mike Coates and Mike Mullane?
1: That's right. We've had Mike Mullane on our show, and now I had a few minutes with Mike Coates.
2: Well, let's hear it.
1: All right. Well, Discovery's maiden voyage is often remembered for several scrubbed launch attempts, including the memorable T minus four second shutdown. What do you remember thinking at that moment? And have you ever had the occasion to share or discuss those thoughts with Wally Schirra or Tom Stafford, crew of Gemini 6, that also experienced a similar engine shutdown? Uh,
4: not with Wally. Uh, I knew Wally. In fact, we, uh, uh, when I was at Lockheed, we had Wally as a uh, consultant, uh, but I never discussed that. I did talk to Tom a little bit about it. I still talk to Tom a lot. Uh, he's very involved in the space program. Uh, and he, he actually brought it up first he said you know you're not the first one to uh, board on the pad I go, yes sir <laughs> uh, so we've, we've uh, compared notes uh, I tell you the thoughts uh, and Mike may have told you Steve Hawley's comment about thought uh, we'd be higher at Miko, uh, and that's one of those comments you say oh man I wish I'd said
1: that <laughs> <laughs> it
4: was perfect Cut the
1: tension instantly. Um, it cut the
4: tension, and and we were joking and uh, and cutting up big time up on the flight deck, and I don't know if Mike told you. And then we kind of played a dirty trick on Judy, who was down on the mid deck and couldn't see us. She could hear us, but we you know we giving all these signs and Hank Hartsfield, is and that boy. When they opened that hatch, when they finally put the fire out, you know, she Hank said, "You you get the heck out of the way because we're coming out." So when they opened a the hatch, she came out like a scalded dog and the rest kind of us kinda sauntered out like it was no big deal. And she didn't speak to us for two weeks.
1: I don't blame Literally. her. Literally.
4: Because all you saw in the nightly news that night, they didn't have cable back then and so forth. So in the nightly news, second woman in space was terrified, you know. She was so mad. Oh ah. so we I wouldn't say we felt bad about it, but <laughs> we <laughs> did tease her a lot about that.
1: Okay. I also wanted to ask you, as Discovery's first pilot and now director of the Johnson Space Center, what are your thoughts on the retirement of the space shuttle without a clear replacement coming online?
4: Well, it's, um, it, it makes me feel sad, frankly. Uh, I'm very proud of our history in this country, of our history in space, uh, the things we've done. I, I have the opportunity in my job to see the different parts of the team, working so well together, that the shuttle team, station team, and virtually everybody around the, the whole agency. Whenever we have a problem, like the torn solar array on the, on the space station a few years ago, uh, anytime we have an issue, um pump module replacement on the station, the team comes to de- together uh, and comes up with some truly elegant solutions that are difficult, very difficult. And they make the impossible possible, and they make it look routine, even. So I can appreciate the amazing team, the highly motivated, highly educated, highly experienced team that we've got right now. So seeing that team shrink uh, is breaking my heart. Uh, I encourage a lot of these people to get into the space program. They love it, and a lot of them are being laid off right now. And that's hard. Uh, It's hard for me. I've been talking to school children now for 32 years. Uh, I can't tell them, here's the program that you ought to think about being a part of. Just saying nebulously, well, we may go to Mars someday, doesn't get them too excited. Um, And that's hard, because the school children need... um, they need to dream. They need to have a vision. Uh, so this is a difficult time. for. It. It's reassuring that the President and Congress finally agreed on an authorization bill. Um, and we've got good, strong, bipartisan support. And the President signed the bill. So for the last eight or nine months, we've been kind of uh, wondering if they're ever going to get together and agree on what the future is going to be. Uh, we still have an awful lot of details to work out, and appropriations is where the rubber meets the road, of course. Mm-hmm. So it's still not a crystal clear future out there. Um, so that, that that makes it hard uh, for me. I've enjoyed coming to work. Yeah, having a job where you look forward to coming to work and look forward to going home every day is a pretty special uh, place, and it's been hard the last several months down,
1: down yeah. here. I'm sure the mood at Johnson Space Center amongst the employees is not a completely happy one right now, but is there anything upbeat that those employees can grab onto right now in terms of the future of NASA?
4: Well, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it was good to get the authorization bill, to have uh, a unanimous consent in the Senate. Uh, not that they had a vote, but it was unanimous consent. Mm-hmm. And then the more than two-thirds vote in the House... Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, how many how many bills you see nowadays where you get parties from or people from both parties voting for them? Um, and one of the good things that's come out is that when I'm talking to politicians now, they're really well informed uh, about the space program, I'm better than I've ever seen, uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get support from the administration, uh, and Charlie Bolden's working on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, morale is—it's uh, good to have the shuttle mission. Uh, give people something to focus on again. Yeah. It's been a long summer uh, without a mission to execute. Uh, but of course, we—we're around the clock on the space station,
3: which helps a lot.
1: Thank you, Mr. Coats. Good to see you, Gene.
3: The one thing that stands in my head with that conversation was the fact that uh, uh, Mike Coates had the feeling that that you know, we're, we're going to be de- decommissioning these birds. Without a clear cut um, replacement vehicle, and he was, you know, he felt, you know, he said in the uh, the uh, in with with the time with Gina there that, uh, you know, shoot, this is uh, this is this is not good. Um, you know, after Apollo, we knew Shuttle was in the pipeline. We knew we had a clean cut successor. Shuttle doesn't have that clean cut successor, so i i just think it's a i agree with him i think it's a a tragic shame that we we do not have a clearly defined successor for the shuttle right now
2: all right well thank you so much gina for that and uh thanks for going down there getting the scoop for us i know we had to twist your arm to go down right yeah it was a real (laughs) arm twister
3: (laughs) still we appreciate it gina great work
2: So as we continue along, STS-133 will be landing shortly, but in the meantime, preparations are still underway for STS-134, the final launch of the Space Shuttle Endeavour. The Space Shuttle Endeavour will be carrying the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, better known as AMS, to the International Space Station. It was just recently mated with its stack, which includes the orange external tank and two white solid rocket boosters. And that is scheduled to actually launch on April 19th of 2011, but is set to roll out to the pad starting this Wednesday night, which this Wednesday night being March 9th, 2011.
0: And it's interesting that uh, NASA has twice in a row, or is it three times in a row, uh, set a rollout to occur at 8 p.m., which is a kind of a family-friendly time for the uh, NASA employees and their families to be able to go see it i'm i'm assuming that they did on discovery's last rollout i know they did on the first one back in uh back in september but uh i think that's a nice touch and uh be interesting to see it hopefully i'll be there
2: the only issue is that the rollout is six hours i doubt most people stay until two in the morning
0: no the uh the crowd thins out after it's moved uh I I can't think how to refer to the distance, but but they tend to stick with it for the first hour, hour and a half, about that.
1: Mark, do they turn off the lights and kind of kick people out after a while?
0: Well, as the orbiter uh, and the crawler progress down the crawlerway, eventually they get uh, to the limit of, of what the fixed lights will illuminate, and they, they do turn the lights off, and uh, there's still light on the shuttle from the... Uh, from the crawler so it's lit up but it's a considerably softer lighting and in September I got some pictures that uh, I didn't have a a good camera for doing that but I got some that I thought were kind of nice because it took the bright glare away that uh, that you see with those real high-intensity floods and uh, it was quite to me it was quite pretty seeing the uh, the crawler and the orbiter and stack you know go off into the darkness Kind of poetic in a way, so. And as uh, as usually often the case, everybody's got to go to work in the morning, so they uh, kind of thin out on their own.
2: Well, hopefully some of us will have some work to do when it comes time to April, but for now, we'll just get ready for the rollout. Speaking of space shuttles, the United States Air Force has their kind of like a space shuttle, kind of like a space plane, but totally a secret. That is their X-37B, which launched on March 5th at 5.46 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This, again, was the second one launched. How long it'll be up there? It's rumored that it'll be up there longer, but we don't know much about it, right? Yeah, uh,
3: but I'm I'm hearing, too, I think there was a a report uh, just today, actually, in Florida today, that... um, was saying that that the reason why the first flight was brought back down so soon was to get the second one off, as I believe that the article is saying that that it it has a um, an on-orbit time limit of about 270 days. Um, it also has a, uh, a very interesting landing profile, so that to me means that it might be able to eventually land. At just about any air force base that could support it, so uh, and it has a has a wide range range of missions, uh, uh, leading up to, you know, saddle, you know, from what I'm understanding again, from satellite reconnaissance to uh, actually satellite deploy and and so on. So it it is, um, it's it's a highly interesting, a highly flexible thing that the air force has got and uh, in in their arsenal, whether what this particular flight is doing. Lord only knows. But uh, I'm sure it won't stay secret all that long. At least its orbital plot won't. Because I'm sure every amateur astronomer, even as we speak, is right now trying to track the darn thing. And we'll probably have orbital references for it you know, within the next, what, 72 hours?
2: Yeah, that's usually about the case. I, I mean, last time they figured it out so quickly. They're like, what's the orbital plan? We We can't tell you couple hours later on heavens above website x-37b tracked
3: <laughs> yeah so I would imagine the same thing is going to happen with this one but again uh, we don't know how long this one's going to be up there for um, the Air Force is is staying hush-hush and as as they should and uh, we'll just have to uh, have to see the interesting thing about the, the x37b is it initially started life out as a NASA critter um, it was supposedly being developed as a, as a test, uh, as a test mini shuttle to eventually carry uh, people, to maybe carry about maybe three three individuals. Eventually, uh, newer versions of it, and uh, it was going to be essentially the station lifeboat. But uh, it unfortunately was not to be. Uh, the Air Force picked it up, thought they could do something with it, and uh, NASA, by the way, still gives um, engineering support. ...to the the reentry tiles, because they're the same type of tiles, obviously, that are on the shuttle.
2: So hopefully that mission will continue to go well, and uh, we'll find out more about it once it lands, which is at an unknown date. (laughs) Boy, they are secretive.
3: Justifiably so, though.
2: Let's move on to the next one, and uh, this is not a story we're happy to report... I mean, we focused so much on this spacecraft. We dedicated an entire epi- part of an entire episode to it. We named an episode after it. We got the rights to a closing song that has the name <laughs> of the spacecraft in it. Uh, do you know how hard it was to get the rights to that song? Got the rights to it. The spacecraft launches. That would be the glory satellite. It is the first launch after the previous failure of the rocket, where the spacecraft failed to separate from its pharynx. And it happened again. The Glory spacecraft is now somewhere in the bottom of the Pacific Ocean as the fairings failed to separate after about five minutes into launch and was unable to reach orbit.
3: Well, (sighs) it was actually Orbital Sciences Taurus XL booster that failed. Um, uh, And I believe, too, that this, this booster did the same thing to another uh, Earth observation satellite about two years ago. Uh, so immediately after uh, the failure, which occurred, I guess, um, when that happened, almost uh, about 2.30 2:30, uh, no, 2:30 in the morning local time, um, uh, about 5.30 a.m. Eastern time here, um, then they just noticed that uh, the booster was not behaving the way it should at, at this particular point. Which was indicative of the fairing not separating from there, and unfortunately, Glory instead of looking at um, aerosols in the atmosphere is now unfortunately somewhere at the bottom of the South Pacific. Um, NASA did name a mishap board right after that, and they will investigate and figure out what the heck happened. But uh, sad for uh, for you know the the scientists that went ahead and and spent their their lives on this particular. Uh, spacecraft and again, but lest we forget. And, and Mark, you mentioned this uh, when we first started talking about about this. Um, three CubeSats were also lost on this, and these these CubeSats were were student experiments, correct? Yeah, that's right.
0: And uh, a little interesting uh, information, and we'll find out more as time goes on. But the uh, the launch was actually monitored or uh, observed by a nasa dc-8 that we've heard about and talked about before with ice bridge and i believe grip and some other missions the nasa dc-8 flew to 2800 miles off the coast of panama out in the pacific and was on station at the time of the launch they picked up the uh the telemetry from the rocket four minutes after launch and they tracked it for an additional 10 minutes. And so uh, the NASA DC-8, they're going to be a contributor towards uh, the results of finding out what went wrong. And I've read some other things in some forums on nasaspaceflight.com where there's some debate about uh, the fairing and, and other you know possible causes of the problem. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out, but it's going to take some time.
3: Hey, Mark, check me if I'm wrong. I believe the same type of fairing, because oh. you've been monitoring this a little bit better than I have. Um, but check me if I'm wrong here. Is the fairing that they use on the Taurus the same fairing that they use on the Minotaur boosters?
0: I'm not sure.
3: Okay. I I I, I could have sworn somewhere I heard that. So it, it's kind of interesting that um, it, it works just fine on, on, on the Minotaur. But... Uh, you know, something is is awry on the Taurus, and maybe it's something in in de, you know, indicative of a problem with the Taurus booster. I don't know. Well, I I can tell you this. I've I've read
0: a little bit about the fairing and how how this fairing separates, and it's a very complex operation. It's not as simple as you know push a button and pop the thing opens up. There's pyrotechnics involved. There's electrical demands that that system has on the uh, spacecraft. There's... Uh, it's a very complicated system. There's things that are made uh, to have a certain amount of strength. They're, they're, they're referred to as a frangible, uh, a frangible joint. They're made to break at a certain point, which gives it the closure against the atmosphere during launch, but allows it to break away under control conditions when it's uh, commanded to and it's not simple, and they've got some additional, I did read they have additional uh, sensors at points that they were suspicious of to get them a little little better readings on how the the fairing performed, Mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately, that'll probably come in handy. Hopefully, they'll come up with a good resolution because the Taurus XL does not have a very good record at this point.
3: No, definitely not. Um, One of the things that kind of burned me up a little bit was the fact that uh, there's a lot of weird vitriol going on out there a lot of conspiracy theories going on out there as well about the loss of glory and uh, it, 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 it was coming from from some some very weird camps and it it just it just troubled me to actually think that somebody would go ahead and deliberately take out you know this particular experiment you know just to go ahead and satisfy a political deal. I mean, I, I just, that was just, I, I just couldn't believe that that was floating around the internet. I saw that and I was, I was you know, really, really, really torqued off about it.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't give that any serious consideration. I don't really think that's possible. I mean, they do too much testing to make sure that the vehicle's ready to go. And, uh, you know, it's it's a very controlled environment. Good grief! They're on Vandenberg Air Force Base, and of course, maybe people that are familiar with security on military bases would laugh at me at my thought that it would be a secure place. <laughs> but I think it is. So I, I think it's just uh, just more bad luck
3: somehow. To reiterate what you were saying, Mark. Yeah, I've, I've been to my share of military bases, and believe me, they are fairly <laughs> they're fairly secure.
2: <laughs> Some of them, anyway. So as the board takes a look at it, we'll find out more as time goes by. Now, there's one more subject. Do we dare discuss more about the NASA budget?
3: Well, um, to to open this up a little bit, um, and and Gina, I guess guess you saw this as well. Um, I guess this was uh, back. Oh, boy, let me get the date of the note because I'm looking at it right here. Uh, March 1st of, uh, of this past week, um, about 50 individuals uh, signed a letter to Congress basically supporting commercial, uh, the commercial uh, human spaceflight uh, effort. And basically saying that this is probably going to be, A, the only way we're really, really going to close the gap the fastest to get something, you know, a viable shuttle replacement going. That's number one. Number two, saying that having commercial entities take over low Earth orbit operations would actually free NASA up. To go ahead and do some serious exploration, finally, which is what we really want to do. We want to get out of the gra- gravity well. And some of the signatories on this on this letter were pretty impressive people. Um, Eugenia, you mentioned a few people before we uh, uh, during the pre-show.
1: Yeah, there were a few astronauts: uh, Jeffrey Hoffman, who's now a uh, professor at MIT; uh, Jay Buckley, I think he's a professor at Dartmouth in addition to uh, scores of other people that are directly involved with commercial spaceflight ventures currently. Um, previous NASA brass. Uh, there are a couple other astronauts, too. The,
3: um. Yeah, one, um, uh, Andrew, uh, author Andrew Chaikin, uh, Robert uh, Sanker, who is uh, an astronaut here in New Jersey, a former astronaut here in New Jersey. Um, and uh, uh, Owen Garriott, former uh, Skylab astronaut, and yes, his son Richard Garriott signed it. Um, and a couple of the other really, really impressive names here: uh, Jerry Griffin, uh, former uh, director of Johnson Space Flight Center, and uh, uh, former uh, uh, flight director. So um, these folks are really, really animate uh, because the uh, apparently the budget too for the, the budget that's currently being looked at right now is a uh, a reduction in uh in funding commercial space flight and funding the uh, commercial space flight endeavor um in fact i'm going to go ahead give me a second here gang i'm going to go ahead and pull up a uh an article from uh, uh florida today you go ahead and do that here real quick yeah they're basically uh, uh saying here that uh uh, NASA saying, well, heck, you know, we're giving you the money to build this this heavy lift booster by 2016, and NASA, you're not agreeing to do that like like it says by law, and uh, 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 Administrator Bolden saying, well, we never said that we could, but we didn't say we couldn't do it either. Um, the trouble is, again, I think Congress is, is doing to NASA what they did with Constella- what, what they did with constellation too. Uh, they're saying, okay, NASA, you've got to build this heavy lift booster and we're only going to give you X amount of dollars to go ahead and fund the research to build it. Well, gee, isn't that what they did with constellation? So m- my question for the panel is, are we by this budgetary thing, um, because the budget the, as we've talked before, this, this budget's flat. There's no increases. It doesn't have have the increases that the president wanted. Um, are we painting ourselves into the same picture that we painted uh, Constellation in with this? And are we going to be just sort of sort of in limbo here for a good long time?
1: Yeah, it's not a priority with the nation. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Maybe with a few of us that see the benefit of space exploration and. American manned spaceflight and the return on investment it has, but for most people, no, doesn't even doesn't even uh, enter their radar.
3: Sarah, what do you think? Do you think we're going to be going ahead and, and painting the same picture that we we you know uh, we we gave Constellation? Yeah, we're going to go ahead. We want to go back to the moon, but we're not going to give you the money to do it.
2: You know. I really don't know about this one. It's, I, I mean that it seems like that's what Congress is out to do. It seems like they're, they say, okay, it's great, do it, but we're not going to give you the money for it. So, uh, I don't think it's ever going to be a perfect balance of budget to goal. So I think they may give them a little, you know, less money, but I think NASA is still going to be able to work with it.
3: It's just the old adage: no bucks, no Buck Rogers. And I, I think again, we're probably going to wind up not funding this heavy lift booster properly. And by the way, not funding the uh, the supposed capsule, whether it is the Orion or not, we don't know. That's supposed to go on top of this thing and and start you know doing some serious exploration here. So you know, again, what, what are we doing? Also, you know, again, it all goes back to the goal. What is the goal post shuttle? There is nothing to find. So again, we we give low Earth orbit to commercial and I've said this so many times on the show, but we need to go ahead and give NASA a goal to complete. Once we do that, I think we're going to be okay make sure that goal is sustain- sustainable and give it the money that it needs to be sustainable. And once we have that, I think we're going to be in good shape because there are other there are other nations over here that have the, you know that that have the will to go ahead and do this. Uh, you know during uh, uh, my my pre-show prep here this week, China, I, I gave I gave the team about five articles of what China's doing. Um, they've got a real, real robust uh, uh, itinerary coming up, and uh, you know we're we're just going to be letting the world pass us by, and we we've, we've got to wake up. That's why I started out the show. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times because it has been the best. you know STS133 has been a, a magnificent success, but we've got to build on those successes. and I don't think we're doing it. This also leads into just one other thing, and I, I will I'll give you a teaser for next week. I've been doing an experiment this week has to do with, with, with leaving NASA television on um, in the cafeteria at work, and I will give you the results of that after the mission is over. Interesting little deal, just some observations I made and some comments people were making.
2: And I know what it's about, but I'm not going to ruin it. We'll save that for next week's show. So with that, I believe that will bring an end to this week's show as well. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Always
3: a great uh, always a great time with, with the gang here, Sawyer. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Thanks. Good time. Good show. And thank you as well, Gina Herlihy.
1: Thank you, Sawyer.
2: And thank you for joining us and listening. And as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be. You are...